that better? Hey, look at that. So yeah, I'm going to start this morning with a bit of a straw poll. So if you have ever had a word of knowledge that somebody's responded to and you've prayed for them, put your hand up. Okay, now add to that, if you've had any sort of prophetic word or you've prayed for healing for somebody, put your hand up. Okay, so that's good. Okay, hands down. Now, if that experience was with somebody who is not a Christian outside of the context of the church, put your hand up. So fewer hands. Okay, hands down. All right, last one. For those who just had their hands up, if you would like to experience that more frequently, put your hand up. And for those of you who currently don't have your hand up, you can keep your hand up. If you would like to have that experience yourself, then put your hand up now. Okay, very good. Thank you. That's helpful because there's a good number of you who would like that. And the reason I say it is because we are starting a new series this morning called Everyday Supernatural. And it's based on this book, which is written by Andy Croft and Mike Pilavachi. And uh, we're going to be, Dale and I are going to be doing different subjects through this term on, based on the sort of first half of the book, things like being filled with the Spirit, God's power, our weakness, His power in His presence, responding to what He says to us, uh, and then sort of weaving through that. Quincy's going to be doing a series on the family, so there will be two running together in this term. And then next term, next year, at the beginning of next year, we'll do the sort of second half of this book, which is going to look at uh, specific um, gifts of the Spirit, so prophecy and healing and tongues and so on, uh, and we'll work through it. Now, you don't need to buy this book in order to really benefit from this series, so it's not like we're, you know, saying you really need this, but if you want to, then do buy it. It's a great book. It's really easy to read and really easy to understand. It's just got that ease about it that you think, oh yeah, I get it. I I, I do. I get it. So there's that. uh, That's the beginning of this series. So I'm going to start this morning with a sort of general introduction to the whole series. And my the point really of this morning's message is what is our motivation for everyday supernatural? And I want to suggest that our motivation should be the glory of God uh, and that we are involved with, we're we're part of, we see the glory of God uh, in our everyday lives. Now you might say, well, it's a bit bit broad brushstroke, it's a bit out there, Kevin. I need a bit more on the ground, a bit more detail. Well, stick with me and hopefully we'll get there. Now, I don't know about you, but I use the phrase the glory of God. But it's not one that I would immediately be able to define for you. It's not that easy, is it? It's one of those sort of phrases you think, "Mm, what is it? I'm not sure. How is it? What does it sound like? Well, I thought, well, I'll I'll do some investigation. So I went to John Piper. Now, John Piper's a modern-day theologian. He's a writer. He's written the book Desiring God, which probably many of you have read He's a teacher, he's a preacher. I thought, okay, what has John Piper got to say about the glory of God? And his first thing was, 
in an article I read, the glory of God is impossible to define. And I thought, ah, oh, maybe I'm not, <laughs> maybe he's not the right person. And then he went on and he said, because glory is more like beauty than basketball. And I thought, yeah, I really have come to the wrong person. What is he talking about? And he explained, he said, you know, if somebody says to you, what is basketball? And you say, well, you, you've got a ball, it's sort of made of leather or plastic, and it's inflated to quite a high pressure, so you can bounce it and you pass it to members of your team, and the idea is you get the ball into the basket, hence it's called basketball. Now, that person may not have understood all the rules and nuances of the game, but, you know, if they saw it played, they go, oh, yeah, I think that's basketball. And he says, but beauty isn't like that. Beauty is about things that you see. You know, I looked up the definition of beauty, and it's a bit prosaic for a word that I think has such depth of meaning. It says this, a combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form that pleases the aesthetic senses, especially the sight. Well, yeah, it's a bit ordinary, isn't it, for such an amazing word. I mean, you think of beauty and you think, oh, sunset. That sunset is beautiful, but that isn't a definition. It's just an illustration. It might be a starry night. It might be a dewdrop on a blade of grass that just catches the sun. It might be a baby in its mother's arms or even, you know, someone who's looking after their spouse during a long-term illness. You think, oh, there's beauty in that relationship. And it's about how we see things and observe things. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it says. And so Piper says, oh, yeah, now the reason that these two things are different and glory is much more like beauty much more difficult to define, much more like that in terms of you've got to see things and sort of identify, oh yeah, that's the glory of God rather than a specific definition. And then he goes on to say, well, how about to get a better understanding of the glory of God, how about we compare it with the holiness of God and see what comes from that? And so he said, well, the, the holiness of God is sort of the separateness of God is, we know the word holy means separate. And so it's like he's in a category or a, a class of his own. He's perfection that nothing can be added to that, to make it any better. You know, he, we've already had the word this morning, he's incomparable. And he then says, okay, well then let's look at what the Bible says. And so he turns to Isaiah and chapter 6 where Isaiah has a vision of heaven and he sees angels and he says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the earth is filled with his, and you'd expect them to say holiness, but it doesn't. It says, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of his glory. And so Piper says, ah, so how we, it feels like this holiness of God, his character and who he is, and it sort of comes out in his glory. He said, ah, now I'm beginning to get a better understanding of it. He says, okay, let me have a stab at a definition. So this is what Piper's definition ends up as. He says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. 
It's the going public of his holiness, which is a lovely phrase. It's his holiness on display. And so you get a sense of, ah, it's on display for everyone to see. So it's more tangible than this. He's, a, he's in a class of his own, eh? but we see it in his holiness. And I, I thought, hey, I'm beginning to get a better understanding of his glory. And so, you know, we'd expect to see it in the Word of God, wouldn't we? We'd expect to see that displayed in the Word. And so let's go to a character who I would say has probably seen more of the glory of God than any character in the Bible. Moses. You know, Moses uh, encountered God in the burning bush, which is a bit of a funny phrase, isn't it? Because it wasn't. We should call it the not burning bush because it wasn't consumed at all. And there was this fire and God spoke out of it. And then, you know, when he was before Pharaoh and he threw down his staff and it became a snake and he put his hand in his cloak and it came out covered in leprosy and then it was all reversed. And then the plagues uh, throughout Egypt and then the blood on the doorposts where they were saved from the angel of death. And then eventually when the Israelites left Egypt and they were allowed to go and then they hit a barrier, the Red Sea, and the staff again over the Red Sea and it parts and they're able to go right through. And then when they're in the wilderness, every day God provided for them manna and quail. And then when again the staff and he strikes the rock and water comes out. I don't know whether you ever thought about that. Was it like a tap? There was, you know, conservative estimate, one, maybe two million people plus all their livestock. This would have been like a river to supply the need for that number of people. And then the cloud, the pillar of cloud that led them, and the fire again by night. Hey, Moses, wow, you have seen the glory of God. Well, let's have a look at Exodus chapter 33. And we're interrupting uh, a conversation between God and Moses. And Moses says to God, it's at the end of his life, it's just before the people of Israel enter the promised land. And Moses says, now, show me your glory. And you think, Moses, are you kidding? With all the things you've seen, and now you're saying you, you, you want to see the glory of God. So what was all that about? All those power displays of God that he did for you in all those different situations. And now you're saying, now show me your glory. That's amazing. Well, I tell you what, what's even more amazing is the following verse. Exodus 3, verse 19, God's response to Moses asking to see his glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You know, God says, oh, okay, you want to see my glory? I'm going I'm to show you the biggest firework display you have ever seen. No, he says, I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you my mercy. 
I'll show you my compassion. And Mike Pilavachi says this, that is the essence of the glory of God. It involves his power, yes. It's much more than his power. The heart of the glory of God is the revelation of his character, of who he is. God's glory is ultimately in his character, in his goodness, in his mercy, in his compassion. And we want to see his glory manifested whenever he moves in power. And when he does, he always reveals his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. And, you know, if, if that is true, and the evidence of Moses saying, and I've seen all this power, now I want to see your glory, and God says, well, you'll see it in my goodness, my mercy, and my compassion. You know, if we now go to Jesus, then surely we will see evidence of that, that that is what he does. That is the demonstration of the holiness of God made man. And I want you to look up Mark chapter 1. And it's a, a story where a man comes to Jesus. And it's verse 40, come up behind me. And it's the man has leprosy. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Now, in your versions, it may say Jesus was moved or filled with compassion. I'll come back to that in a moment. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, let me just go back to that word, indignant or compassion. Now, uh, I'm quite glad that uh, Becky's not with us this morning because uh, the Greek word uh, there is, is one I, I've never come across before. And it's, it's the most amazing Greek word I think I've ever come across. And I put it on the screen so that you can see it, and then I'll try to say it. Splagchutnitsumai. How about that for a word? That's amazing, isn't it? Well, and what it means is, which is probably more important, it means that it means you are moved with compassion, or it can mean you are indignant about something, but it has the sense of from within your innermost being. You know how we say that expression, my heart went out to them. When you hear something, you know, some tragedy or terrible news, you, oh, my heart went out. It's almost like a physical feeling that you respond and almost words, there aren't words to describe it, but you feel something inside. And that's, that's what this word means. And I think in this instant that it could mean and does mean both things in relation to Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, why, why would Jesus have been indignant when this man came to him? Not because he asked for healing, I believe, but because he saw the work of the enemy, that this man was suffering as a result. Now, leprosy is a horrible disease. It, it affects the skin and the nerve endings, and gradually you lose feeling, 
and you don't feel pain any longer. Now, some of you might think, yeah, that would be quite nice not to feel pain every now and again, but actually pain is good for us. I was cooking with a wok the other day, and I just touched the wok. Wow, that is really hot. You know, if I didn't have any feeling, I wouldn't notice. And then suddenly there's this horrible burn. And that's what people with leprosy experienced that the extremities of their hands and feet and their faces and so on, where they, they would get infection when they had damage to their skin. And not only that physical feeling, but the emotional feeling because they were ostracized from society, from their community, from their friends and their family. They were sent away because it was felt that they were so contagious that people didn't want to get anywhere near them. And so he was sent away, they were isolated. And we know something about isolation, don't we, over the last couple of years. But during that period, we were encouraged to go to people who were isolated, who weren't able to look after themselves and manage things for themselves. We were encouraged to help them. People with leprosy were not. They were just left. They had to look after their own devices, reduced to begging on the streets. And so Jesus is indignant that the work of the enemy should have brought this man to this. But also, he's moved with compassion. He sees the pain that this man has experienced, both physically and emotionally. And what does he do? He heals him. No, before he heals him, he reaches out and touches him. Now, I imagine that man has not been touched for many years. Imagine what that must feel like, ostracized, but nobody comes near me, nobody touches me. And I come to Jesus, and the first thing he does is he reaches out, takes my hands. Just think what that must feel like. The compassion of Jesus, that he should be willing to do that. And then he says, yes, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And it says, and he was cleansed. The word there means without blemish. So he's healed from the leprosy. He's no longer contagious. But all the damage on his hands and feet, it's all gone. Well, it's all gone. He's, he looks at his hands and there's, there's no blemishes. There's no wounds. There's nothing. All the infection has disappeared. And that's what Jesus has done for him. He shows his compassion and his love for this man in complete and utter healing. And we see that throughout the Gospels as Jesus encounters different people. We read he was moved with compassion. He was filled with compassion. He stood before the tomb of Lazarus and wept. He wept over Jerusalem, only that I could gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. He wept over the people. He had felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Again and again and again, we see the compassion of Jesus demonstrated, not only in what he saw and said, but also in what he did. And the disciples, you know, there were lots of times when the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand. But I think this is one where they did. In John chapter 1, we read this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen 
his glory. Now, I don't think it was lights in the sky. I think it was, oh yeah, we've seen the glory of God made manifest in his, his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. The one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, you know, we know that Jesus uh, demonstrated these things. He demonstrated his goodness and mercy and compassion. He demonstrated with works of power and miracles. And then he sent his disciples out. He said, go, go out, go and proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And they did, and they came back, and they said, well, it's amazing. And he sent out the 72, and they had the same experience. You know, and we're sent out in the same way. God, Jesus specifically spoke to us in a verse in John 14. Let me read it to you. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, now, he was talking to disciples, to the people. The disciples believed in him. Some of the people in the crowd believed in him. In Acts and on, in the early church, there were thousands of people who believed in him. There are people here who believe in him. This, this is speaking to you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name you know whenever I read that verse I think wow I'm going to do greater things than Jesus isn't that amazing greater things than Jesus and then I think I've barely scratched the surface of doing the things that Jesus did let alone things greater than he did so Hang on, what's going on? Well, it's because I didn't read the end of the verse. It says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's a reason, there's a purpose. It's not just about the power encounters. It's about demonstrating the goodness, the mercy, and the compassion of Jesus. There are people out there who are hurting, and they need someone just to hold their hands. Yes, they'd love to see the power encounters, but they just need someone to touch them. There's a couple of illustrations I'm going to give. One is from Mike Pilavachi, uh, one of the authors of the book. Unfortunately, he was unable to be with us this morning. He's elsewhere on a, a busy assignment, but I've got him on video. So are we going to watch that now? So if we can take the lights down and watch this clip. was going to Berlin a number of years ago, I was going to Berlin uh, for the day. And uh, I was going with my friend, Matt Redman. Uh, we were, I was going to speak at a, a, an event there, and Matt was going to lead worship. And we drove to Stansted Airport. We parked the car. And as we went to check in, to my horror, I discovered I'd forgotten my passport. Disaster. I tried to get through on my... Um, uh, on my driving license, but they weren't going to have it. And I phoned our office back in Watford, and uh, they have a key. They have a key to my house, and I said, "Can one of you please rush to my house? Go to my bedside cabinet. The passport's in there. Drive as fast as you can to Stansted Airport." 
Uh, a young lady in the office called Ali got my passport, got into the car, and she started to drive. Ali is a very lovely lady, uh, but one of her strengths is not fast driving. And by the time she arrived at Stansted Airport, not only had Matt left on the plane without me, but the last plane that day to Berlin had left. There was no way I could get there in time. I was devastated. I was distraught. I was like, you idiot. What, what were you thinking? And I said to Ali, well, we may as well go back to the car and you better drive me home. And as we were going, um, going through the airport, going to the car, I noticed a man standing by a wall with a suitcase either side. And just this thought came into my head, this little thought, it came in and out. Um, he needs encouragement, go and pray for him. And normally, you know, I get little thoughts. In fact, I had that little thought and immediately I thought, oh, stop it, Pilavachi. You're cross with yourself that you missed the flight and you're trying to imagine that God is speaking to you so that you can feel better. So I was about to dismiss it, but I made one big mistake. I told Ali uh, what, I, what had come through my mind and suddenly she got so excited. She said, oh, this is amazing. This has never happened to me before. Um, uh, maybe... Uh, maybe it, it, it's Jesus. This is like the books. This is like the cross and the switchblade or chasing the dragon. And I, my heart sank and I said, no, Ali, I think it was just me trying to make myself feel better. Let's just go home. I'm fed up. She said, but what if it's Jesus? What if it's Jesus? I said, I bet it's not Jesus, but it might be Jesus. And I suddenly realized if I just got in the car and went home, I'd have a very disillusioned colleague driving back with me. So I said, okay, let's walk past and see if God speaks to us. Uh, let's go walk past him again. So we turned around and we walked past the other way and we looked at him. And then we got to the end, nothing. And then we walked past him again. We walked past that man seven times, seven times. I don't know if he noticed us, but if he did, he must have thought we were weird. And in the end, I thought, I cannot keep walking backwards and forwards. This is, this is ridiculous. So I said, okay, this is probably going to be a disaster. Let's go up to him. We went up to him and I said, excuse us. We're not weird. We're really not. But we're followers of Jesus. And we wonder if maybe he said to us that you need encouragement right now and we should come and just pray for you. The man looked stunned. And he said to us that he had just arrived from Kenya to England in order to pastor a church in Essex. And uh, he'd arrived first and his wife and kids were arriving in a few weeks. And he was waiting for two of the elders of the church to come and meet him and to take him to his new home. And he said, they're, they're obviously late. They haven't arrived yet. And I've been standing here. And as I've been standing here, I've been thinking, what an idiot I am. I'm moving my whole family from Kenya to England to go to a strange culture, to go to a church that I don't know much about, to be a pastor. I think I'm making a terrible mistake. And he said, I've actually been standing here and I've just been praying, God, before the elders come to collect me, I just need you to encourage me. I just need you to say something to me that this is you to encourage me. We were stunned. We were absolutely amazed.
That is the end. Well, he goes on and on. He's quite a talker. Um, <laughs> but isn't that amazing? That there's this man at this airport, and he's just feeling vulnerable. And he's feeling, I just need a little bit of encouragement. And so God demonstrates his mercy and his compassion. And, you know, he does it in such an odd way. You know, Mike Pirovacci misses a plane and doesn't go to an uh, event that he was planning to go to just for this man. Isn't that amazing? My own experience, three years ago, I was uh, bowling for Sussex in the county finals. And one of the guys on the team, Steve, he was really struggling. His arm was really hurting. Every time he bowled, he was really in pain. And, you know, I had that nudge of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit was named Liz on that day. Uh, and the nudge was, you need to pray for him. And I'm going, yes, I know, I need to pray for him. But there's all these people around, their five-man teams. You know, the place was heaving. And there wasn't an opportunity to just get alone with him. And it was a two-day event. At the end of the first day, uh, I was looking at the scores. And I noticed that Steve was also looking at the scores and there was nobody else around. I thought, oh, great. I said, Steve, can I just have a quick word? You know, I'm a Christian and I believe that God heals today and that Jesus would love to heal your arm. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And he sort of went, yeah, okay. So I prayed for him and I can't remember what I prayed. I hope it made sense. And then off he went. The following morning, uh, I met him and I said, hey, Steve, how's your arm? He said, oh, I, I put a load of cream on it overnight and I took some painkillers and uh, it's, it's, it's much better this morning. So I said, oh, good. And we did bowled and I think we lost. And Anyway, three years later, hadn't seen him for three years until February this year. And we were down at the... Uh, down at Worthing, bowling for the county trials. And he was there at the, the lanes before me. And I walked down, and as I approached him, he said, Hey, hi, Kevin. He said, Do you remember my arm? And I said, Yeah, yeah, I do. How is it? He said, Oh, well, it's, it, it turned out it was fractured. I said, Oh, gosh. He said, I've had two or three medical procedures on it, and it's really much better now. I said, Oh, that's great. He didn't say, Well, your prayer didn't work. He didn't say, your God didn't really understand what was going on, did he? No, immediately. Nothing. He didn't say anything else, didn't say, how are you, didn't say anything. Do you remember my arm? Why did he say that? Because I showed interest, I showed love. I, I probably didn't realise it, and I certainly didn't realise it at the time, but I was demonstrating the glory of God in goodness, in mercy, and compassion. You know, we, we love, I love, I won't put it on you, but, you know, we love those power encounters, don't we? When we see God act with miracles and healing. But I think people out there, they're more impacted by the power of a love encounter. Yes, we want to see the power encounters. Yes, we want to see people healed. But I think we need to remember that just like Jesus, he first touched that man with leprosy and then he went on to heal him you know we can pray for healing but let's do it in a way that demonstrates the glory of God in goodness in mercy and in compassion and I think that is the essence of 
what Andy Croft and Mike Pilavachi uh, want us to understand as we head into this series. Uh, and we are encouraged, stimulated, stirred to be everyday supernatural. But let's do it with that in mind, that we bring glory to God through the way we act with goodness, with mercy, and with compassion. Amen.